Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices Conversations on the Way. In this episode, we'll explore God's invitations with Father John Peters, CSV. John professed first vows in 1960, and his experience in religious life is unique. As a brother, he served as an assistant and translator for the Superior General of the Viatorians in Rome from 1972 to 1979. After seminary and ordination, John was novice master for the Foundation of Columbia from 1988 to 1994. John's later ministry has been in Viatorian parishes, including St. Joseph in Springfield, Illinois, Maternity BVM in Bourbonnet, Illinois, St. Francis Xavier Parish in Corazal Town, Belize, in the Viatorian Foundation of Belize, and now at St. Patrick in Kankakee, Illinois, where he served since 2007. John speaks several languages, has served Viatorian ministries on three continents, and served over two decades as a brother before ordination. Just a few traits of his distinctive background that we'll explore here. I'm pre-associate Dan Masterton, and I'll be your host for this episode. To begin, I asked Father John to reach back to even before religious life, when he grew up on Chicago's northwest side as a parishioner and student at St. Bider Parish. Enjoy the conversation. I grew up in St. Bider Parish, of all places, in Chicago on the northwest side. I went to a grade school there, and then I went to St. Patrick's High School, right. which was the Christian Brothers down around the corner in Belmont Avenue. So I was, uh, I was exposed to Viatorian priests and brothers uh, from, my, from my early childhood. And uh, by the time I was finishing up high school, I felt this was a, a vocation that I would like to pursue. I had no idea where it would go, but I just felt it was a, a way of serving the Lord in, in, my, own, in my own way. Uh, I, I really, I mean, I was really kind of looking at, uh, I didn't know much about the brotherhood or even about the religious life. I was looking more at priesthood, but Viatorian priesthood, because uh, that's who I had known over my career at St. Peter Parish in grade school and high school. So I, I knew the priests. And so I applied uh, right out of high school. That was the way we did it in those days and uh, went out to Arlington Heights in 1959 in the middle of nowhere, to the Viatorian novitiate. <laughs> Began my novitiate with a Father Cracknell as our master of novices. There were a dozen of us or so, mostly from Viatorian schools in Illinois, a couple from out of state, but mostly from Illinois. Over the course of a year, I mean, this, this was the day, I mean, there was no such thing as pre-novitiate in those days. There was actually one month of postulancy. Okay. Today, Everybody takes a year or so to decide, well, do I want to be a novice? We were pretty well decided when we first when we got there that we wanted to pursue this path, for better or for worse. I mean, there was the discernment process then and today were night and day. So what do you remember of the Viatorians from those years in the parish? Do you remember some of the men who, who worked and served in the parish and how you interacted with them as a child and a teen? I remember some of them. They were all, they were very active. I remember in the school, there used to be a father, one of the priests used to come over and give us our report cards. He passed out the report cards. And if you weren't, didn't have good grades, you kind of had an answer to him. Also in those days, there was a mandatory school mass on every Sunday. You had to be there. The kids had to be there. The kids were at one mass. It wasn't like a family mass. It was just school students down there. And then on Monday morning, you would also be asked, did you go to Mass over the weekend? And who was the celebrant of your Mass? And what was the homily about? So I remember, I mean, I wasn't really close to any of the priests, to be honest with you. I liked there what they were doing. 
in terms of serving as the author, serving the people, and helping people live whether it meant to be a good Catholic in, in those days. So then you head out to Arlington Heights, and it's the late 50s, and we haven't even built a high school yet, and you're, like you said, in the middle of nowhere. What, what was the novitiate like for you and your class of novices? How was the novice master treating you all and helping you, you know, develop this religious life discernment and prayer? Right. The religious life in those days was very, very regimented. You did the same thing every day, six or seven days a week. You got up, you went to, you went to Mass, you had a little meditation time, you had breakfast, you had work period, you had lunch, you had a work period, and some study periods in the afternoon. Nothing was very profound, to be honest with you. Nothing was profound. I, mean, I think the idea was, or the implication, that people were there, they had already made that discernment somehow or another. And I think it's true that in, in 50 or 60 years ago, people made a life decision a little bit earlier than they do than they do today. So it was not a question of uh, helping you make a real discernment, but more helping you to uh, be to concretize yourself in the discernment that you had already already made, kind of personally, and starting to steep you in some of the the ins and outs of daily life and the commitment of of your religious life spirituality. Right. Um, and it was uh, it was very 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 regimented. I mean, it was you meditate for a half an hour, and this is what you meditate on, and these are the words you meditate on. There wasn't much by way of uh, personalization. Or 12 people, 12 novices, all of us did pretty much the same thing. So it wasn't like each of us was an individual. We were all <laughs> kind of, we were, in the, in, we were all in the mold, in the same mold together. Now, one thing we did during that year, which, uh, which was toward the end of that year in terms of discernment, we did have a 30-day retreat. Wow. But to be very, very, very honest, it was most of us did not appreciate it as as. as, as some of us have made 30-day retreats after that, and they've been much more appreciated in terms of the time available, in terms of the, uh, the, the depth of uh, thinking that, that was possible, and, uh, and so forth. So we did have a 30-day retreat, but again, the entire novitiate, this is the way it was, what was a program, and you, 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 uh, you, you did the program for a year, and you were a junior professed uh, member of the Clerics of St. Peter. So uh, fortunately, that, a lot of that has changed over the years. But to be honest, back in the 1960, that was, it was pretty much, that was, there was a, I guess it would be like, you know, studying a math, uh, taking a math class from, you had to know this at the beginning and you had to know that at the end. And uh, the math class was a success <laughs> if, you, if you did. Right. So if a person can form themselves to what was going on, during the novitiate, and wasn't rebellious, I and mean, there's no such thing as rebellion. <laughs> no such thing as rebellion in those days, no. We were all very docile, very docile, not really giving a whole lot of uh, thought to, to anything, you know, going beyond the boundaries, because it was, it was just understood. If you want to be a Viatorian, you follow this program for a year, and uh, then you move on to the next stage. So our community is interesting in that some men complete formation, then go on to formation for priesthood and have ordination fairly early in religious life. We have other men who enter as brothers and remain as brothers for the whole of their religious life. And then we have this kind of third group, which would include you, who 
were brothers for a period of time and maybe had a mix of ministries and periods of study in different fields and then go on to priesthood later in life. Would you say that there was any kind of particular thought or guiding process to how you approach that? Was it kind of one thing at a time? How did you end up in religious life for that long as a brother and in studies before potentially becoming a priest later on? I, I think it was because um, during around the, uh, maybe the first 20 years or so when I was a Viatorian, I was doing internal work. Right. Uh, I went to college. I finished up my degree uh, in uh, Latin at Loyola and in French at Laval University in Quebec City. And then I got into kind of administration. Uh, right. There were some books being translated in those days. I was administrative assistant to the provincial then I was an administrative assistant to the Superior General in Rome for seven years. And I think it's kind of as I was finishing up that time in Rome, I was saying to myself, what am I going to do now? Do I want to spend the rest of my life uh, sitting in an office, translating things? Uh, I really had not had much uh, apostolic experience. I, I, I wasn't teaching. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, guiding anybody. And I think at that point I said, well, I think that I, my, my, life, my life would be more complete. My life would be more interesting <laughs> and it would be more beneficial to others as well if I, if I thought about going on for the priesthood and, and serving the church after doing 20 years of internal work, uh, more external work, serving in some type of a ministerial role. One of the interesting things about my life, and I might be the, might be the only one, is that I have never been in a classroom as a teacher. I have never taught in a classroom. So those first 20 years, I, I think probably when I was going to college, I was thinking, uh, yes, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a teacher of Latin or a teacher of French. And then these opportunities presented themselves. And I said, yes, I would do that. I would help them do this internal work of the community. And then by the time I went to the seminary and finished up there, there was a you know, there was a, a major gap between me and high school students of 30 years. So I said, well, this is not the time for me to try to get into teaching. So I kind of resolved at that time that I would not be a teacher. Although I haven't been in a classroom with uh, 35 students, I feel that I've taught a few people a few things sure, in my absolutely. life. Do you have a sense of why you might have been drawn to language study, having studied Latin and French and working a lot in translation, whether in conferences and meetings or in books? What drew you to languages, do you think? What drew me to languages was uh, accidental. <laughs> because at Loyola University in those days, a person getting a bachelor's degree, Bachelor of Arts, had to study Latin. That was part of the program. My first course of action was mathematics. For two years, I was a math major. And then it became very, very, very theoretical. And I, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I liked <laughs> the nice concrete uh, angles and... Uh, sines and cosines and what have you. So I said, well, here I've got all these language studies. I had a number of Latin courses uh, taken by that time. So I, I finished up in college as a Latin major. And then uh, thinking in terms of uh, being a teacher, I was thinking of being a, I, I could be a, a French teacher. I will also mention that taking all the Latin, I also had a kind of a minor in French in, in, in at Loyola University. So I was kind of primed to go on for further French studies, all the time thinking that at some time in my life, I would be teaching Latin or French, which did not work out. 
Now, learning Latin and French did work out for the rest of my life in the sense that I, I've uh, had many opportunities to be a translator. At, uh, when I was working in, in, Arlington, in Evanston, Arlington Heights, uh, Rome, I did translational work and I have attended all of the Viatorian General chapters since about 1969, every uh, four or five or six years. I have been on the translation team there besides other meetings of the General Council and, uh, and other international meetings of, of the order. So my language studies came in very, very handy. Uh, it was a kind of a fickle finger of fate. That was not my first uh, <laughs> approach. But uh, and when all was said and done, they became very handy. And knowing Latin and knowing French, I was only an inch away from knowing Spanish. Right. Since they're the same family. I dealt a lot when I was a brother at the provincial house. I dealt a lot with the Mexican sisters that we have. And I used to be their driver. This was before the days that they had their own cars. And I would drive them from Evanston to Arlington Heights or Arlington Heights out to Pasigui Bay. And over the years, I picked up a lot of Spanish, just listening, keeping my ears open and knowing French and, uh, and Latin. Uh, I picked up a lot of Spanish. So that was, a, that was also a good thing for my translational uh, life and also get me, got me on a number of airplanes <laughs> later in life when they were looking for, when the community was looking for a master of novices in Colombia back in around 1986-87. My name came up and I was eventually chosen to be the master of novices in Colombia. Up until that point, they had had occasional master of novices, but not a real program. Many of them had come to the United States to study or some had gone down to Chile. There was the community's desire to start a, a novitiate program in Colombia. So I was chosen to go and do that from 1988 to 1994. And it's a gift. It's a gift. I will say that right up top. It's a gift to be able to pick up these languages. So you would certainly have a unique perspective of the life of a congregation versus someone who maybe has primarily lived and served in just Illinois or just Nevada or maybe a little bit of both, having served several years in Latin America, having served several years in Rome, and not just probably seeing Viatorian worldwide gatherings, but seeing the church at large gather internationally. How might you characterize the congregation uniquely as opposed to men who have only served in one city or state or even one country, when you see the languages, you know, the different languages, the different cultures, the different ways the congregation and the charism are expressed in all these ways, how is your portrait of the Viatorians kind of unique? What would you say as you think back on these 60 years? I guess I would say that the Viatorian life is lived differently in the different countries in which we are implanted. Uh, Viatorian life in Spain is lived differently from uh, from France and from uh, Canada. We skipped over Canada. I, I lived in Canada for a couple of years when I was getting my master's degree in French. So I was very close to the French-Canadian uh, Viatorians as well. I've been very privileged. I've been very privileged to visit, I think, uh, just about every country except for the Asiatic countries, just about every country in which the Viatorians are located in uh, Latin America and in Europe and in, the, and in North America. I've always found that the work that they do is different in each place, but it is always in the, in, with the idea of announcing the good news to people, to, uh, especially to younger people in, in a different variety, in a variety of different ways. 
So maybe one more question about your ministry. You talked about these, these years as a brother and your years of kind of internal service to the congregation and eventually pursuing studies and formation for priesthood. Now you've spent all these years in parish ministry. Do you think that there's kind of a, a handoff from these years as a brother serving your, your uh, brothers in the congregation, the way that those studies and those experiences prepared you for then how you're serving these parish communities and what you do as a pastor and a priest to a local group? I, I had 20 years of life experience, not, 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 just, uh, yeah, sure. not just serving as, as a secretary or a translator, but I mean, I was, I was living life as well and inter interacting with, uh, in Rome, a number of people from different countries and uh, going to uh, ceremonies at the Vatican. Uh, so I, I, I think I, I learned a lot. I was even learning while I was, while I was serving. And uh, it did not seem to be a major, major, major uh, jump for me to get, get involved in parish work. Now, of course, during the seminary, we were also involved in parish work. I was working uh, in a couple of inner city parishes around CTU at, at the time. Working in a parish is basically working with people, trying to be at their service, trying to be with them in good times and in bad, and helping them to, to, to try to, to grow as Christians and practice their, practice their Christian faith uh, day by day. So I, I don't think that it was a dramatic uh, switch for me to, to move from internal service to external service because it's all service. Is there maybe one particular story or one particular time in your decades of religious life in different countries and different cultures? Is there anything that sticks out in particular? To be very honest, I mean, I, I just, I think I had have a uh, character or a, uh, a way of acting where I can pretty much uh, conform myself or uh, be content, fit in with, with uh, circumstances and uh, with situations. Probably some of my most interesting years were when I was living in Rome at the general direction. Father Langenfeld was the superior general. I was kind of his uh, assistant, uh, translator, and I wasn't a member of the general council as such, but we had a very interesting house there. We had uh, we, we all spoke French, and right in the middle of Rome, we all spoke French. It was the one language that everybody knew. The Spaniards knew it because in their, in their many of them had studied in the novitiate in, in France in their, in their youth. French Canadians were there, uh, Frenchmen from France, and uh, Father Langenfeld and myself, and that was our lingua franca <laughs> in the middle of Rome. Uh, now, we did learn a little... We did learn a little bit of Italian, but really, uh, French was our, was our best language. And the, the general direction in Rome was interesting. We're talking 30, 40 years ago when the community was three times as big. So you, you would always have a visitor coming through, somebody who was on a little pilgrimage with a parish. Now, we wouldn't take care of their parish group, but that person would, might want to come over and have lunch, have dinner with, uh, with the Viator community in Rome. There were usually a student, there was usually a student or two studying at one of the Roman universities. So it was a very interesting life in, uh, in our house in Rome in, in terms of meeting a lot of interesting Viatorians from around the world. So I did not have to travel. They came to, they came to, <laughs> they came to the house in Rome and uh, we had an opportunity to, to, meet, to meet them, yes. What would you say 60 years and in change into religious life to young people today 
who maybe know Viatorians from their own schools or parishes or our youth congress, who maybe are thinking God could be inviting them to religious life. Do you have any insight for a young person who might be praying over a potential invitation to religious life or priesthood? Their best bet would be to try to, uh, to narrow it down to what they want to do in religious life. What do they want to be a contemplative? Do they want to work with the poor? Do they want to work with students? Do they want to work in parishes? In, in, in my day, we kind of made our own decision, but I, I think young people today are, are much more open to asking others uh, their advice and their, uh, their counsel. So I, I would say a young person, I mean, I would certainly encourage young people to give it a try. Let's put it that way. Give it a try. Uh, how many uh, young people today, by the time they're 30, have tried out five different careers? And it's not just not embarrassing. It's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's just that they were looking and serious about whether they want, what, they, what do they want to do in life. And I, I think the same could be said for religious life. I think it should be tried out by a young person, give it a try, and uh, give it a try and meet some other people who are on that same pathway and ask their help and ask their, their support in making some type of a, a decision. That's all for this episode of Viatorian Voices. We'd like to thank Father John for his witness and service, and we pray for his continued good health. Viatorian Voices Conversations on the Way is a production of Viatorian Vocation Ministry. The Viatorians are professed brothers and priests, together with women and men lay associates, who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel, and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. In the footsteps of Venerable Louis Curbs, and under the patronage of St. Vider, we strive to do everything well, so that through us, Jesus may be adored and loved. This includes St. Patrick Parish in Kankakee, Illinois, a Viatorian parish in the Diocese of Joliet, where Viatorians have lived and served in pastoral leadership since the 1930s. To learn more about the parish, visit stpatrickkankakee.com. To learn more about our community, visit viatorians.com or follow us on social media at ViatorianUSA. Those seeking support and accompaniment in exploring God's invitation for them are invited to reach out to Vocation Ministry. Send us a DM on social media or email us to start a conversation. On behalf of Brother Peter and the Viatorian community, I'm pre-associate Dan Masterton. Venerable Louis Curbs, inspire us. St. Vider, pray for us. Adored and loved be Jesus. Mm-hmm.